Sosin, and this is Six Degrees of Innovation, a podcast that grew out of my natural curiosity and love of innovative solutions to big and little challenges. Each episode, I'll speak with someone who is making an impact in an innovative way. Listen in as we talk about what got them started, what problem they're tackling, and how it's going. This week, I'm talking with Dan Fawn, founder of Workbreaker providing unique business experiences that blend Dan's leadership and training expertise with time to focus on your work and curated exploration of Lisbon, Portugal, where he lives. This study abroad for grown-ups was what drew me to interview Dan, but the conversation turned into a great brain wander through how we engage with learning, new ways to frame our time, and lots more. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I feel like I have become quite a LinkedIn fan of yours. And so I'm excited <laughs> to have a chance to meet you for real, even if it's through a screen. I found you initially because you were um, you were posting some findings that uh, were from the Zeus Jones Resiliency at Work report that aligned with what you were finding in your own work with Workbreaker. And um, two of the points struck me um, as things that I really hold hold dear. One is building a culture of trust and the other is having a um, sense of radical honesty. And so then I just needed to know more about Workbreaker. It looked fascinating. And um, so I was wondering if you could start by giving me um, what Workbreaker is, because obviously mm -hmm. you can you can do that much better than I can. And, um, and in particular, I'm curious to know sort of how did you land on this idea? How did you realize this was a thing that was that was really needed in the world? Yeah. So work breaker, I tell people it's study abroad for grownups. And if you think about it, you know, people love study abroad programs when they're 20, 22. And why is it so valuable that we that those people talk about it decades later? It's because they had fun. They learned something. It was part of their education. So what work breaker is, it is a eight-day program where for your program fee, I set up your apartment in Lisbon, Portugal, where I live. So you can live like a local. You have office space at my office at Second Home. So you can work remotely and attend to your day job back at home. I plan all your tourist activities, your cultural experiences, and then sprinkled throughout the week are those learning and business development sessions. So that's the study brought for older grownups like us. That it sounds so incredible because I think so often, especially as Americans, the idea of taking any time away for extensive self-development or even for holiday, um, mm -hmm. it feels really scary. And so being able to blend it feels like just a, a very uh, rejuvenating experience. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's actually the problem that I was first trying to solve because when I left my job at Target back in 2015, I was doing a lot of workshops and conferences and speeches around the world. And so what I would do is if I was in Mexico City, tag an extra two days for my own personal learning or, or travel or holiday. And a lot of my friends and peers would say, oh, I wish I could travel the world like you and always be on vacation. I'd say, no, no, I'm, I'm not on vacation. I'm here for work. 
I'm just adding a day or two to have fun, but also learn something. And so we know how offensive the amount of <laughs> holiday time that we get as Americans. And so, um, you know, there really isn't a program out there. This is back in 2015 or even 2019 before remote working was a thing where, uh, you know, you can just go work around the world. And um, there's, there's programs like Remote Year, which is really good, but you go to the landing page and it's usually a very young person on the beach with their laptop. And I look at, I'm in my forties. And so my, I look at my peers, we have families, we have jobs where we have big commitments and we can't just say to our leaders, Hey, uh, I'm going to go take off for a month or for three months. See ya. And so I was trying to think, okay, how can I get my peers or my friends to be able to experience the joys of traveling, but also get them to pay for it and not have those Sunday scaries. And so mm-hmm. people or companies are sending their employees to leadership conferences, to trade shows, to business meetings, and they're usually no longer than a week. And so this is something that blends the uh, you know travel, remote working, business leadership and education, which most companies send their employers to anyways, and it blends it all in one. It's such a great idea. I used to do a, some amount of traveling for a previous job, and I would always try to stay an extra day or stay, you know, at least take the latest flight home to get out and and right. see something that was new to me. And it does it make particularly, I think, when with the traditional business conference, you go somewhere and then you are locked in a hotel for days. And so even if you gain a ton of learning, you you sort of end up leaving feeling like you've just been part of some sort of social experiment. So mm-hmm. being able to actually, the the study abroad model, I think makes so much sense in terms of actually really kind of building the experience into your whole self and not just, you know, my work brain. Um, yeah. we, the, we, need break, we, we need breaks from that because you talked about like it's a one day or two day seminar. And by the end of that, your brain is just shut down and you need that time to reflect and you need to actually apply it so that's why I don't have all the learning and development sessions at the beginning or at that one day. We'll do a morning session. Then I'll say, okay, we're going to do this activity. I want you to think about what we just learned and apply it to while we're having fun or while you're learning mm-hmm. something about Portuguese culture or European innovation or whatever that topic might be. And yeah. it just sticks so much better. Yeah. And I think, you know, sort of the flip is going on holiday and having in the back of your brain, oh God, my inbox. So mm-hmm. being able to to really, like, I just think you've done such a great job of of blending all of those pieces and sort of addressing all of those anxiety points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that some of the programs are something that individuals can go and can join. So there's the, mm-hmm. I think it's the 21st Century Leader Program. Yeah. Where, you know, I could just go as an individual. And then you yes. also do programs where you're working specifically with, you know, an entire team from, mm-hmm. from companies. I'm curious to know if you find just differences in in those experiences in terms of how people engage. Yeah. Big differences versus the open <laughs> session. Yeah, the open session versus the ones where they're sending a team. So for example, in April. Accenture song, they sent eight people from all across 
from offices all across the country to come together. And a few of them knew each other, but most of them actually didn't know each other. They, they worked for the same organization. They all worked in some sort of retail uh, pyramid, but um, they didn't know each other. And when we talked about that report, uh, resiliency and, and building trust, these are all the themes that actually surprised me as a leader that, that came out. And so um, because they all had one shared goal, like their, their shared mm -hmm. company goal too, we were able to get so much more work done when it comes to trust, collaboration, the buzzword of innovation, and then also just personal leadership. And uh, that's personally what I like to do the best because I see the sparks light up and the people, uh, like, like business results. Um, mm -hmm. Me as a, as a trainer, I've been in learning and development for about a little over 10 years now. And it's always so hard uh, to convince people, oh, my job is important because sometimes there's there's none of those business metrics or the, the dollar signs attached to it. But when I get feedback, like I'm excited about my work again, or I wanna work with this person in the San Diego office that I didn't know existed. And I'm in the Philadelphia office. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is so amazing. And this is, this is worth the money, the investment that people put into it. And then, you know, selfishly as me, I'm like, I, I, I did a good job. I did something <laughs> great. So that's the major difference is that um, they have the shared goals. And so they'll be able to work on something together. And most importantly, they'll be able to continue that work well after the program is done. And that's mm -hmm. what's very meaningful. In thinking about going as an individual, mm -hmm. I was thinking about sort of all of these like new cool relationships that I could yeah. make, which is exciting, but in sort of a very different way, like in a, in a more expansive way. And I and I like that if going as a team gives you sort of new new pathways, but also maybe uh, kind of new focus. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, personally, I just like the team, team stuff a little bit better. That's my personal. But um, when you said the open sessions, a lot of people come for personal development too. And so yeah. that's where I see it, it swing to more of the personal development, or maybe they are working on a side project. So they work at an ad agency or they work for a medical device company and they um, are thinking about something, maybe becoming a solopreneur or they're thinking of a big project that they're doing at work or just general personal leadership that they, that their company, maybe they're a smaller organization. They don't offer like the big companies can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things when you are, when you, when you would like have the beginning of the idea and you, you know, you haven't gone out to full, full solopreneurship, but mm -hmm. you're thinking about how to get there and you're doing, you know, whatever it is that you do in, in, you know, air quotes, real life, Yeah, finding a way to build in actual devoted time to get that project up and, and going can be so hard. Mm -hmm. And um, so I can see how um, this could be incredibly valuable for people who, who like just, I just need the week to get this going. Yeah. Um, that's very cool. That, that's one of the questions we, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, that's one of the questions I asked on the, the, the survey that they fill out before is what, what are your goals, obviously? And then what kind of work are you going to be working on when you're here? Mm -hmm. And from that, I can create a personalized curriculum for them or even set them up with someone here uh, in Portugal who might have done the same thing or can help them or give them some advice. Thank you for leading into the question that was in my brain. Oh. Um, <laughs> how much curation do you have to do to 
sort of tailor it and how much is that you, you know, your vast experience has given you the ability to, to build a program that people can take what they need, where they need, um, and sort of how do you strike that balance so that you aren't having to, you know, completely reinvent the wheel every single time? I that was like say, five questions. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, no, it's, it's a very good question because sometimes I, I do struggle with that because those open sessions where it's individuals are a little bit more work from that curation and the, in the planning side. But um, if we think about like any, any company, if they're struggling with the buzzwords like innovation or, or digital transformation, it doesn't matter what widget they sell. I would say 85% of their issues are, their, are, are the same. Everyone has the same issues. And so it's just um, pulling something out of my toolbox and then maybe switching out trying for a metaphor here, you know, switching out a, a different screw head, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you have the universal screwdriver and then you change a different one. And so that's why it's very important to keep up with your network. That's why um, we were talking about LinkedIn earlier before this. Um, it's important to keep that up and comment to know what people are doing. So if someone's working on something that I might not have personal knowledge, I can be a connector for them mm -hmm. or I even feel safer saying, I don't know the answer to that, but I think someone might be able to help you or let's mm -hmm. look it up together. Yeah. I think, uh, I really love to be the matchmaker and yeah. I, and sort of, you know, I have, as I have become older and perhaps wiser, really leaned into the idea that like, I know I'm no expert, but I can generally find someone who is, and that mm -hmm. is such a rewarding feeling to to do that kind of connecting with something like Accenture song. Now people are going back into their office. They now know people in different offices. And so mm -hmm. they have the ability to kind of drive that continuation of community. Um, and, but for instance, if Accenture song came back every year and had different people um, or for the, for the groups that are more mixed, um, do you see people keep continuing to keep in touch? Are you facilitating that in any way? Mm -hmm. What do you think? The only facilitation that I do is I do a 90 day check-in after mm -hmm. usually a call um, or a letter. I still like writing hand letters or, or sending stuff in the mail. And then occasionally if we've had a good relationship, we'll do zoom calls or meet up in person. If we happen to be in the same city on an individual level, that's harder for me to keep track of. Um, it depends who they meet. Uh, I, I guess it's, it's it's similar to when you do travel and you meet that best friend. You know, it's like really an intense relationship for, or you could have like the best night ever, and you you know, it's kind of that romantic feeling. And then um, maybe you'll maybe you'll keep in touch. But I, I've seen some activities where past participants have either chimed in on each other's LinkedIn posts if, if that's it, or sent an email. Um, I remember one woman who attended back in 2019, she was looking for a job. And so that person was able to connect. So part of it is just expanding your network or could even relate the final session. We do some action planning. So mm -hmm. some of the questions we ask is who might you need help from and who do you need accountability from? And so that happens, it happens and it's magic. If it doesn't, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I think that that is kind of a bold approach. My experience particularly, I think maybe in general, but also recently has really been, and I think it's, I think it is perhaps in some ways a response to COVID and the isolation of COVID. It's been sort of everyone wants to build an everlasting community. And there is in fact value to a time-bound 
turbo bonded experience. Um, and like your, your example of a night out, I have this, um, I have this memory of this years ago, I think it was 2010 or 2011. I went on a solo holiday to Iceland and Mm -hmm. I was on a tour and there was a guy who was also solo. And so we started chatting and then we got back to Reykjavik at like 11 o'clock at night. And he took me to this super cool club that was in like a, an old house. So like it was yeah. a different DJ in each room and it was absolutely amazing. And I like tried very hard to hold on to that when I got back and then quickly realized like, I don't know that I have anything in common with this guy. And we, <laughs> right. we live like in, on different continents, but it was a magical, magical experience. Yeah. And I got to see cool things and like, that's good. It's in the box and now I can go on. Um, and I think that now, um, you know, every kind of community that I'm in has some sort of new platform that it is building mm-hmm. or has some sort of platform that it is trying to utilize better. Um, and maybe that's, maybe we don't all... We don't all need to be in long-term yeah. communities. I, I I agree with that. We don't need to be. Um, we need to set boundaries for ourselves as well, because sometimes maintaining a community can put a lot of pressure on us. We feel like a bad person if we're not keeping in touch. Um, and it depends where you, where we are at life. Uh, I've been in I've been living in Lisbon for eight years, and when I first moved here, and you can relate to this moving to a new country, you need to build that network. And so you're doing more of the social things and you're keeping in touch and you're setting either personal or professional goals of building a community. And now when someone says, oh, hey, Dan, someone just moved to Portugal. Do you want to meet them? I just say, you know, like, I don't even have time for my real friends right now. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but uh, I'm not in that community networking like building a personal community here. However, if it's something business related or what I'm working on right now that where I can help the other person and then they can help me, uh, sure, go for it. And so um, like your your Iceland example, you probably know that if you happen to be in Iceland again and, and this person was there and you just sent them a quick message, hey, you want to grab coffee? You could just pick up where, where you left and there's no pressure. There's no, oh, we need to do this again. Um, cause sometimes, you know, life is that continuous, oh, we should grab coffee sometime and it never happens until one of us is gone. So, um, <laughs> I, I think we need to give ourselves permission to set those boundaries and to accept that, Hey, our building our community or maintaining a relationship served me at one time, but maybe it doesn't serve me currently in this moment. It's interesting. So I moved abroad uh, like 15 years ago now ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was such a different experience because technology was so different. Sure, um, yeah. and you know, I think it was when I moved abroad, I also got my first smartphone and, um, but I still, I, I, I don't know if Facebook messenger existed yet. It might've, I can't really remember. Um, but it was really, really hard. And, um, and so, it felt really isolating. And my experience now has been interesting because I have in many ways, I've have felt like I have been able to really maintain all of my relationships from the United States um, because texting and voice memos and things like that mean that you really can have asynchronous communication. And so time zones don't really matter. So I think in, in some ways it was, it has been less isolating, but there has also been sort of a little bit more of a need to say like, you know, I'm over here building something new and so, um, you know, I can't be the one who is pulling this relationship along. Like there has to be, it has to be a little bit of both. Um, 
And so that kind of boundary, just even sort of figuring out what those boundaries were for myself has been a really interesting learning experience. Um, the, this is definitely like going way off the path of, of, <laughs> of work breaker, but it's, um, but it just sort of, it along the lines of thinking about, you know, the study abroad model, I think that there is something that there is like kind of a connection in just in terms of like how you can exist in many different places in the world mm -hmm. in a connected and disconnected way. Um, but disconnection in, in the positive sense. Um, and I think that that's, that's really interesting. This is like a sort of a weird small question, but it, it just sort of, I, on the Workbreaker website, there's, you know, like the FAQ of what I, what I need to bring, what I need to do. And there was something about, um, you know, like explaining how people can do international phone plans. I was curious to see if people sort of like, may, I hope maybe do a little bit better when they are in the Workbreaker experience of disengaging from their phone when they are not in, you know, the work mode part, or if you've even noticed. I haven't noticed. And I, I would only be offended if, if I was presenting and giving a workshop and they were on their phones. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the, the whole premise of this is not to disconnect and be a vacation. This is not a retreat. Like that's a bad right. word in my style guide. This is not a vacation. This is not just working as well. It's like that combination of how do you discover how to have life and work on your own term? Mm -hmm. it's, it's not an eight hour day. Uh, straight through. It might be eight hours sprinkled throughout the day with different learning activities. So it might be wake, uh, you, you wake up and you have coffee at a, a, a cute little Portuguese kiosk and then you go to work around nine and then you get stuff, you know, like the, the emails and, and, and stop down and then you do a learning session and then you go have lunch somewhere and explore something new and then you come back to work and it all depends on your energy level throughout the day as well. And so um, I... I am okay if people are on their phones. Um, they might need to FaceTime their their kids or they might yeah. need to, you know, they, they really might like posting stuff on Instagram. And so um, I think everything in moderation, that, that, that's my rule for yeah. everything. Alcohol, like bad food, uh, being on your phone, everything is okay in, in, in moderation. And so as long as you learn to, you know, work all those together, it, uh, I think it's fine if it's not affecting yeah. something else. Yeah. Yeah. What made me think about it was that sort mm -hmm. of thinking about how the, you know, when you go to a conference and you have the feeling of like, oh God, what's happening in my inbox? Or you go on vacation yeah. and you think like, what am I missing? And by having everything sort of integrated, does it remove some of that uh, anxiety about what yeah. I don't know about kind of thing? I, I think it does. In the way that I have the program set up, it's not all work one day. It is not just yeah. tourism one day. It is not just cultural stuff one day it is it is the mix of both and it, it uh, I actually haven't changed the schedule more than probably five percent since the start in 2019 just because it works really well that's amazing mm -hmm. um do you think you would ever expand to other cities or or, um, or do you feel like this is you want to yeah. be able to do this in there and so like this is within the scale of Dan yeah. Um, good question. Cause I get that a lot from people giving me uh, unsolicited advice on how to be a millionaire. And I say, I don't <laughs> want to be a millionaire. I do this because uh, I, I'm a solopreneur. I'm not an entrepreneur. And I think mm -hmm. uh, the difference between me and an entrepreneur 
is an entrepreneur wakes up and says, how can I make more money? How can I grow an empire? Which is amazing. That's, that's how some people work um, and, and love and that's what they want to do. I, me as a solopreneur, I wake, wake up and I think, what kind of life do I want to have? And then I build a business around that. So I know I, I love my life here. I love that I can see my family when I want to, that I can go on a vacation when I want to, not these lavish ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know exactly how much money I need to make. And then I build businesses or experiences around that. And then once I kind of hit that, I, I don't stress out about it. And I, I don't think about growing more. But I w- if someone wanted to do, let's say, a Workbreaker Berlin or a Workbreaker London, I would for sure say, okay, let's like do some sort of like franchisey thing or I come in as a consultant and make sure that you stick to the ethos. I don't want it to be ruined. I don't want it to become commercialized. And because that's, that, that's why it's special too, because it's someone who knows the city that, you know, that local feeling very uh, well, they know the business side, they know the learning and development side. So to me, it, it, if I found the right partner, 100%, I'd do it. Nice. Um, I just don't want to work more. You know, I don't, I don't want to yeah. be busy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I also like that, you know, if you ever decide that you want to move to another city, you could find, you know, you could, you could yeah. take this with you, which I think is mm-hmm. nice because a lot of the time you have a job and you want to move somewhere else and it's like, well, now I need a new job, but you've actually built something that is attached to you and portable, which I think is pretty cool. Thank you. Um, could we talk a bit more about the the cultures of trust and radical honesty sure. and sort of how that how that unfolds in Workbreaker? Yeah, I with cultures of trust. This is something that I've been learning from the participants more that I've been discovering as more people go through it, especially mm-hmm. after the pandemic. Uh, a lot of people, you know, we've we have team members who have started at organizations who have never met someone in person only through Zoom and. You can do your work okay, being 100% remote, but it's hard to build that human trust on the side of it. But I always start that Monday learning session with a uh, personal values exploration and the way that we do it, it's very um, honest. We learn so much about the person. I'll use the V word, vulnerable. Uh, it's it's um, Some people love that word, some people hate it. Because um, I think it has a, I think men hate it more than women because uh, being vulnerable, vulnerable uh, seems more, you know, demasculizing. But I don't think that's the case. That's something we get into in, in another podcast. <laughs> but what I see is it really opens up the trust when you know why is someone like this, or why do they, why do they have these interests, or why might, why didn't I really jive with them uh, in the past meetings? And you discover, well, this is what they value, or this is the person that they grew up with, or this influenced their life. And so building those trust, the circles of trust when you're in with someone opens, it's the framework that's needed to create a a good team. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I think Mm -hmm. that there's, I think, I think I used the phrase earlier, turbo bonding. I think that there, you Mm -hmm. know, when you, when you can create the space for people to, uh, you know, leapfrog the small talk and actually really mm-hmm. get to know each other in a in a vulnerable and true way, then it it just opens the door for for so much more mm-hmm. engagement and learning and and yeah. compassion. When you so, when you go through new experiences with people too, that really forms that bond. Like you talked about in Iceland. I mean, travel is the perfect way to get a new experience with someone from an excitement 
with someone from an excitement point of view, but then also a scary point of view. So mm-hmm. things don't work the same way in Portugal that they do in the United States, or there's a language barrier. And uh, you have to be, when people are scared together, or they go through some sort of problem together and they solve it, uh, a, a new bond is created. Uh, you create a new memory, you create inside jokes that will last forever. Um, and it just makes you want to be with that person more. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take a, a hard turn here. Um, and I'll, I'm not sure how to make the segue, although I guess it's related to study abroad, sort of. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that um, that you've written about um, that I thought was really fascinating was how you take a semester approach to your life and your planning. Mm-hmm. And um, I was curious to know where that idea came from. And um, if you could just tell me a bit about sort of how you do it and how it um like the value that you see it, it providing. Yeah, that was a post, I think an Atlantic article perhaps, or mm-hmm. Vox, something Vox. that I follow. And when I saw it, I, I thought, oh, that's that's how I have been running my life. And I th- I did write a post that maybe back in 2015 or 16, I just called it themes instead of uh, semesters. So I would mm-hmm. say, oh, this spring, my theme is preparing for whatever it might be, or this summer my theme might be resting and recharging and this fall my theme might be getting a lot of stuff done and so it's just going the semester approach so when i saw that article it validated already what i was doing but i'm a huge fan of that because i think it can work for people who are into the details but also uh maybe they're a little not neurodivergent and they have a hard time task managing or they just don't task manage the way that you know, people tell us we should, or, or the work mm-hmm. tells us to. And I think it's much more manageable. It um, creates goals that are much more manageable too. You don't have to have that daily to-do list. And within those semesters, so you have different weeks. I, it's just like university, right? Like this week I'm learning about something, or let's say the teacher was out of town or, or, or sick. You just move that lesson or that task to a different time, and you're not stressing about it because it falls within the the three months of what you were setting yourself up to do. And so um, fall is definitely my uh, putting all the ideas that I had over the summer into action. And so I seem busier in the summer, in, in the fall, and I don't get super stressed out about it because I saw it coming. I know what the results are going to be. I know what I'm going to be doing in the winter to help you know balance that out. And I, I like that approach a lot. What were your thoughts on that? I think, uh, so I had never thought of it, but when I read the article and when I read your post, I thought it just sounded so interesting. And especially summer does tend to be, you know, a time that is is slower. It may be harder to like get the meetings that you need to get. It may be harder to, to you know, kind of do the, the worky work. Um, mm-hmm. And that gives you the space to really do the thinking and the ideation and um, which is like, Kind of a cheesy word, but I do think it's really important. And then going into the fall, or as autumn, as they say here, feeling like I imagine that even if you are busier, you're also probably more excited because this is like the new and the fresh, and mm-hmm. all these ideas that you have been contemplating and working through are now getting implemented. So that feels like a great way to kind of offset burnout 
of mm-hmm. giving your giving yourself the up and the down, but also giving yourself the time to really do the thinking. I think so much of so much of the way, at least I feel like I sort of approached life for so long was that you you have to always be doing and so then you don't really have the time for the thinking. And so having a little bit more of a, a seasonal or semester approach would give more time for that. It makes it easier to say no to things as well, which oh. It's very hard to very hard for us. So I um, like th- this summer I wasn't doing a lot of the networking events, even though like summers going out and partying and stuff. Um, I knew like that's reserved for my friends, or or summers reserved for my friends, or summers reserved for me coming up with new ideas for my business. I'm not going to touch business networking, mm-hmm. but this fall I will, or winter, depending where you live too. So I'm from Minnesota and. <laughs> I don't want to be going outside or going from place to place networking or or going to all these meetings when it's minus 20 degrees outside. And so I will be able to say no to different things at that time and reserve winter semester for something else versus in Portugal, the weather is usually always nice. So that, that might change. And um, I, you know, it's really hard for us to say no, especially if you're working on a new project, you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, or even a, a leader of people, uh, no is a full sentence and mm-hmm. we have to accept that and life under semesters makes it easier to do that that's eye opening i guess is maybe mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm going to think a lot I, about how controlling my time and sort of theming it out gives me much more space to say not right now or just simply no mm-hmm. i like that cuz i do think i i definitely i'm getting better but i do still fall into the sort of you know i I want to do it all. And then, and then there comes a day where I just, you know, like I can't leave the couch. I now want to just spend some time thinking about how I can, how I can kind of reframe uh, my own, my own. I do, I do too, because I'm thinking about, uh, I have a really good friend who she does suffer from seasonal depression. And, you know, if, if she knows that, then she can frame her semesters very differently and not have the pressure to do things or yeah, um, maybe you have, uh, a, a child that is has some special needs that you need to attend to and uh, spring might be very busy with that or I, I think it's just a really good concept I, I do want to you're making me want to dig into it more uh, than, <laughs> than, the, than the article as well and uh, how, how it can serve other people or how I can help others realize this and plan their life this way yeah, because I, I love a good planner. I love a good, I mean, I held on to a paper planner for a very long time. And and I, particularly because I am not a person who who naturally has structure. So mm-hmm. I really kind of held on to a planner for a long time as a way to, to build structure for myself. And in some ways it was really valuable. But I think one of the things that was actually really good to learn was how to sort of use structure to my benefit instead of using structure to lock me in. I am much better at um, doing certain things at different times of the day. And, and I know, and I, I now know that. And so now I can build a structure for myself that aligns with when I'm really good at thinking, when I'm really good at, you know, mindless tasks and, um, and that kind of thing. And so I feel like I I've been doing that for a while on sort of a, you know, like part of the day frame, but thinking about it 
bigger across the year feels interesting. And then I did not. Yeah, I did not think of it that way. Because um, I I'll have to show you this this graph that I use of my energy level throughout the day. And this is actually why I do love companies that are flexible with remote working or remote time of the, the day, because everyone's energy levels or motivation levels vary throughout the day. I'm a huge morning person. Mm -hmm. I rarely need to set an alarm. I'm that person that once I'm up, I am singing. I am I'm doing whatever. Like 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 let's let's plan some meetings. Let's go for a jog. Let's get coffee. Um, but early in the afternoon, nothing. Like like don't mm -hmm. don't talk to me. Um, my nap time. And then after dinner time, like that's when I have a lot of energy a lot. So um, it's like this curve. And thinking about my old job at Target, I worked from you know eight to five. Target was wasting a lot of money by paying me to be absolutely lazy from the hours <laughs> of like two, two to 5 p.m. When really my job, my, my day should have been broken up like eight to one. And then seven to nine. And that will vary. I, you know, I, I don't have kids, so I don't have to take anyone to baseball practice or gymnastics. Um, but if we all worked or if we could work that way, I mean, it's a privilege that I can do this. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think you're onto something too, about where are you best throughout the year or throughout the months. And that's when you have to plan that way. Yeah, there's, um, there's an interesting book that I, I can't remember the name and I can't remember who recommended it to me. So I'm going to have to dig through notes and try to figure out what it was sure. that, um, but it's about the cycle of the year and how you use your time. So I'll look it up. And if I can find my notes on it, I'll send it to you. Cool. Um, well, I'm, I am, um, I'm conscious of time and I would like to get to my uh, final question. That is the namesake for the podcast and mm. um, is, Apparently, um, annoyingly vague, but I really love the variety of the the outcomes that it that it brings. So, um, what is someone or some organization or some company that is doing something that that you think is really innovative and has you really curious? I wrote a post last month that was probably my highest impression post on LinkedIn. And I said, forget chat GPT, forget Tesla. The most innovative product of the year is the pot size spaghetti from target own brands. Uh -huh. um, I, it just, it, it's just amazing. When I saw it, I said, of course, and I'm sure everyone in Italy is, you know, like going crazy. Like, why would you do this? But uh, you know, it's solving a problem thinking about us, you know, like breaking the spaghetti, all the time or, or waiting to, to put it in. And um, that's an innovative product. And I, I know like the, the innovation gurus that are out there say innovation is an incremental change. I'm like, it can be if it really changes the way you do things and it met, like, makes life a lot easier for you. That's, that's something that I thought was really simple and innovative and it, and it gave me a laugh. Um, but one company that I've been impressed with, and I haven't had a chance to buy it. I'll go back to the, the United States next month for work. Um, but it's this company called My Simple Pet Lab. And they started, I think it's a newer startup and they're in, they're, I know they're for sure in Target and they're probably in some some other stores, but it's at home pet kits and, and healthcare kits. And what oh. I was thinking of, okay, it's not a new concept to get your pet checked for your infection or if they're you know something's coming out the wrong end but think about that fear you have as a pet owner like i don't know what's wrong with my pet 
and you know having to call the vet and they might not be able to get you in that's that's really really scary so um you know you can have these in-home tests and it's i love it that it's digital because you set up your account online and then you send your the results to the vet and they can communicate with you that way it's you know it's 21st century healthcare, um but just for pets so i really like i i like that organization i like what what they're doing so be excited to see what what comes from that um I just really like, um, I, I, I cringe at this because I do like what Uber, like I don't like Uber as a concept of what it's, you know, how they treat their workers, for example, but all the new products of, they're just not a, a taxi company. They're uh, mm-hmm. getting from point A to B, not just humans, but your food, um, any products or items. So my house right now, if I forget my keys, the door will automatically lock behind me. And that was just like such a fear that I have. And even leaving keys with someone else. I still have to go there, but I did lock myself out accidentally last year. My friend lives probably, you know, a 20 minute ride, 30 minute walk. And, you know, with Uber package delivery, I can just say, Hey, I'm sending an Uber to come pick up the keys and then bring it back. I mean, it's just like, it's not, I did not know that existed. Oh yes. Yes. So do like, like just keep things at your friend's (laughs) house or if your friend borrowed an umbrella from you and, there's, you know, like I need it back. Just say, okay, I'm sending an Uber to pick it up. So it's not just about getting humans from point A to point B. It's getting things. It's, you know, with grocery delivery and food and who knows what's what's next with that. So that's what I think is also innovative. That's really interesting. I didn't know mm-hmm. that they had that. So here in London, the um, you know, Transport for London TFL covers the, the overground, the underground, um, and also the Uber boat, which is just a... It is essentially like the overground, except along the river, but it has okay. you know stops along the way, and you tap in and out the same way you do onto the sure. subway. Um, but what is but for some reason, and I don't know why, it's called the Uber boat. But it's not like you can call it on the Uber app. But mm. so it's really, I think, just a marketing piece. But I had a funny conversation with someone who was visiting London last week because they saw Uber boat and thought that they could genuinely call a boat. Um, and That's they were really excited about too. it. Yeah, I felt bad when I had to tell them that they were wrong. Um, and it would be amazing. So maybe that maybe that's next. Maybe this is like the soft launch of Uber Boat. We'll see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you, Dan. This this has been really fun, and um, and I'm I'm now really doing some some deep thinking on uh, approaching my time and my calendar and my, the, the goals that I have. And I'm also so my, trying my job to... as a trainer is complete. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how I can come to work breaker next year uh, or at some point. And I hope I can figure out a way to make it work. <laughs> I would love to have you. Thank you. So thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for this conversation. A huge thank you to Dan Fon for joining me today and for blowing my mind with the reminder that no, we don't need to make everything a community. Some experiences are most valuable when they can stand alone. I'm already thinking about how I can meet Dan in Lisbon for the spring Workbreaker program. If you are too, check out workbreaker.com and sign up today. Thank you to you for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and maybe one day I'll be the next Sarah Koenig. If you know someone who would be a great guest, please email me at rachel at sixdegreesstrategy.co or send me a message on LinkedIn.
This episode was edited by me. Cover art is by Danielle Brooks. The theme music is Strangers in the Night by Vocalista, downloaded from Upbeat.io.